Hey there, New City. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I have chosen, at least this week, maybe uh, for the next few weeks, to leverage my time uh, on the front side of these messages to air my grievances. <laughs> so I'm going to be doing some airing of grievances before we jump into the message. Uh, today's airing of gr- grievances is this. Phrases that I want to quarantine after the quarantine. Uh, so there are some phrases that I would like to quarantine after the quarantine. The first phrase I'd like to quarantine after the quarantine is, let's get on a Zoom call. <laughs> I would really like to see that phrase uh, eliminated from our vocabulary uh, after this whole thing is over. Uh, here's another one. I know you don't have to leave the house, but you still have to bathe, child sitting at my house right now. <laughs> like, you still have to bathe. Like, you don't get to just toss hygiene out the window. Uh, I'm tired of, you know, making those references. Uh, here's another one. We, we are living in a new normal. Uh, I, uh, I, I'm not, like, fantasizing about the old normal. Uh, I'm just tired of hearing about the new one. Uh, I would be okay with just normal normal. If we could get that one going, that would be, that would be really great. Here's another one. Uh, just put orange juice on your cereal. Uh, there's a subtext for this one. Just put orange juice on your cereal because I'm not yet ready to risk my life at the grocery store to buy you another gallon of milk. Uh, we all have to make compromises. It is a quarantine <laughs> after all. All right, here's another one. Uh, I want to stay home tonight. After the quarantine, I want that phrase to be eliminated uh, from our uh, our home's vocabulary. I want to go out. I can't wait to get out. I'm tired of being at home. I love my home. I love my family. I like being away at times too <laughs> and so uh, maybe you can relate to that all right here's here's a, another one uh, this is an unprecedented time now i keep wondering when does the unprecedented time become precedent because i'm ready for <laughs> i'm ready for that phrase to be done uh, i'm ready to be uh, to be done with the unprecedented times that we're in all right so i have a final one i only had seven today but i have a final uh, grievance to air with you Phrases I want to quarantine after the quarantine. The last one is this. Uh, Can you repeat that? You are frozen. (laughs) All right. Moving on. All right. This text today, the text that we're in in the book of Colossians. uh, By the way, the series is called Hold On. The big idea is that we're holding on to the one who holds it all together. We want to hold on to Jesus because he holds everything together. Uh, but in this, in this passage that we, you've already heard read today, is uh, a major theme in the passage is Paul's suffering. And I have taken heart. I don't know if you have, but I have taken heart. I, mean, I've, I know I've aired my grievances, but I, mean, I want to just encourage you. I don't know if you've had this, this thought yet. You probably have. But I'm watching the whole globe respond to this pandemic, and most people have decided to suffer in distancing from their neighbors as an act of loving their neighbor. Like most people have done that. That's kind of remarkable that most of humanity agrees that people are worth suffering for. I find that to be extraordinarily encouraging. Uh, people have thrown this phrase around. I, I think it, you know, it certainly uh, the phrase needs some explaining. But people have said, uh, you can save the world by sitting on the couch. You know, well, I think they're trying to illustrate that it's not like other generations that had to go to war. Uh, this generation doesn't have to go to war, just has to sort of distance uh, I do want to say there are a lot of people who are, who are suffering in this distancing. I mean, businesses are closed and people are out of work. Uh, but people have wondered, you know, how is sitting on the couch suffering? How is this suffering? Uh, I do want to th- talk to you about the suffering of distancing for a second. 
See, anytime we live our lives contrary to God's design, we will experience suffering. And there's a kind of suffering that's new to like our, our cultural experience, actually our global cultural experience. Uh, you've heard it mentioned probably before. Uh, it's called Zoom fatigue. You see, Zoom fatigue happens because we're trying to achieve an intimacy that the platform is inhibiting. Uh, I read some scientific journals about this over the last uh, few weeks, but I did find this article in National Geographic uh, in the science section helpful. Uh, Zoom fatigue is taxing the brain, and here's what's happening. Now, the idea, the big idea of the article is that your mind is tuned in for intimacy. So your mind is looking for cues. Uh, they're looking for the cues of the movement of hands, looking for the cues of the position of the body, looking for cues in the eye contact. And those things are very difficult to achieve in a video conferencing call. Uh, the article reads this way. Psychologists call this continuous partial attention, the kind of multitasking your brain is trying and often failing to navigate in a group video chat. This leads to problems in which group video chats become less collaborative and, for some people, the prolonged split in attention creates a perplexing sense of being drained while having accomplished nothing. Maybe you've had that feeling on a Zoom call, feeling drained but feeling like you haven't done anything on the call. Well, the article continues, the brain becomes overwhelmed while being hyper-focused on searching for nonverbal cues that it can't find. You see, we were not made for social distance. We were made for social intimacy. And our brain is tuned in to look for clues of intimacy. Uh, we're not made for this kind of distancing. And social distancing is a kind of suffering for the common good. It hurts. And I think we need to acknowledge that just out loud and publicly. Like social distancing hurts. It hurts us psychologically. It, it wounds us emotionally. Humans are worth suffering for, though. And we have collectively, as a society, as a world, has said, yep, humans are worth suffering. I think this is a great opportunity for, I mean, humans are worth suffering for. I think this is a great opportunity for the gospel. Because one of the key narratives of the gospel is that Jesus suffered to rescue humanity. <laughs> Jesus agrees that human beings are valuable. In fact, they're so valuable, he gave his life to rescue them. Look at 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Uh, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds, you receive your healing. Through his suffering, you receive uh, the healing that you so desperately need, the healing from sin and the healing from death. You see, Paul, in our text today, suffered as well. And Paul suffered to extend the grace of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus through the church. You read about this in the first verse of our reading today in Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And then he adds this. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Probably the most difficult verse in the entire book of Colossians to understand. What does he mean, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body? We're well, certainly not saying that Jesus lacked the capacity to completely and absolutely atone for our sins. That's not what he's saying. 
But he's saying that there is this time that we are all in where he is offering his body as a sacrifice for the body, the, the church, the body of Christ, which is the church, for salvation and redemption, for maturity, for growth, and for, uh, for assurance. And he's offered his life uh, as, as a means of personal sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. You see, the church is the visible display of Jesus to the world. It's, it's how the world sees Jesus. And Paul is saying, I want the world to see Jesus. I want them to know, to know Jesus through the church. And he's dedicated his life and has offered his, his physical body uh, to, be, uh, to be an offering for the purpose uh, and the calling of Christian ministry. So you see in Acts 26, uh, 15, when Jesus, or, or when Jesus is talking to the apostle uh, Paul, and this is Paul recounting it, uh, telling his testimony, if you will, in Acts 26, he says, uh, Jesus confronted me and he said, <laughs> he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And so what Paul is doing is he's recounting this early sort of moment in his conversion when Jesus said, when you persecute the church, and that's what Paul was doing at the time before his conversion, when you persecute the church, you're persecuting me <laughs> because the church is my body. And so the Apostle Paul has this sort of wrapped, this, this early sort of uh, uh, moment as conversion, sort of he's got his theology wrapped around that identity, that idea. So Paul suffered for the church because he was God's steward now. He was God's stewardship for the good of the church. So I want you to look at Colossians 1.24 again and listen to the words of Paul. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to, here it is, the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. See, Paul was God's to steward for the church so that the church could extend the grace of Jesus to everyone, to all people. And that's what he has in mind here is the unique ministry that he was given, the ministry to the Gentiles. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now look at Acts 26 again and look again at the, the calling of the Apostle Paul and how Paul was called for this purpose, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. But rise and stand up at your feet, Jesus said to Paul, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness. I'm stewarding you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me. Uh, sorry, to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, uh, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And so the Apostle Paul is one who was sent, and he was sent on a very dangerous and difficult mission. And so before we dive into that, I want to affirm three things to you. There are three things that I want to affirm. The first is that this is hard. Not only is ministry hard, but this is hard. What we're all going through is hard. Uh, you have a mysterious power to do hard things. Uh, you do. This text speaks to it. And the third thing I want to affirm to you is that you can do hard things with thanksgiving and joy. Like you can. You can do hard things with thanksgiving and joy. So the first one, this is hard. You, you know, as you experience Christ laying down his life for yours, 
like you will be able to and empowered to do the hard thing of laying down your life for others. As you experience Christ laying down his life for yours, you will experience a desire to do the hard thing to lay down your life for others. Uh, what tends to happen for Christians when they receive the, gr- the gift of God's grace, and they recognize that grace came through the suffering of Jesus, is that they begin to uh, look for ways, uh, opportunities to offer their body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, so they can live on mission and do the things uh, for others that Christ has done for them. Uh, this is the mind of Jesus. You read about it in Philippians 2. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, this other-centered mind, this self-sacrificially loving mind. So Paul was one of those people who was radically changed by God. I mean, rescued, really, truly, from persecuting the church. Uh, Paul was living in error. That error was revealed to him in a dramatic way. He even refers to himself as the chief of sinners. The Apostle Paul, is, is, there's no mystery for him as to what he was saved from. And so the Apostle Paul was willing to lay down his life uh, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the mission, for the sake of the lost, for the sake of the Gentiles. He was willing to lay down his life for the mission that he was called to do. He was, a, he was God's stewardship for the world. And Paul's body certainly bore the evidence of his self-sacrificial love for humanity. It most certainly bore it. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 9, 19. <laughs> For though I am free from all, Paul said, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Do you see his attitude here? I'm a servant. I'm, a, I'm, God's, you know, I'm God's to use for his purpose, for his witness. I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Look at verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 9. To the weak I became weak, to the might uh, that I might win the weak. <laughs> I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Listen to this sort of radical commitment to mission the Apostle Paul had. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, by, <laughs> that by all means I might save some. He says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 9, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So the Apostle Paul has this tremendous ministry for the gospel, and he's saying, I will stop at nothing to accomplish the ministry God has called me to. And Paul showed a high tolerance for risk-taking love. I mean, extraordinarily high tolerance for risk-taking love. Look at Acts chapter 14 and verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. The Apostle Paul had an extraordinarily high tolerance for risk-taking love, preaching the gospel even at the risk of his own life. And you could read other passages that talk about the shipwrecks and the beatings and the persecution and the daily fretting over the, uh, over the daily affairs of the church and how much the Apostle Paul was concerned about the mission that he was called to. It reminds me of a core value that Craig Groeschel shares from time to time. Uh, it's a core value that his church holds. The value is stated this way, we will do anything short of sin to reach people who are far from Christ. There's this kind of an attitude of... <laughs> We won't stop. 
until, until every man, woman, and child is reached. There's this kind of deep-seated calling to sacrifice and to, to love. Paul was willing to do whatever it took to reach anyone. Why? Because everyone matters. People matter. I, w- I want you to know, Paul was not a rogue missionary that was out just sort of looking for trouble. He saw himself as God's resource to steward. He was clay in the potter's hands. He, Wherever you want to send me, God, I will go. That was the attitude of the Apostle Paul. I want you to, to, to listen again to verses 24 and 25. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And he said, in verse, he says in verse 25, I became a minister, here it is, according to the stewardship from God. So my, my suffering for your sake is on account of the fact that I became a minister according to the stewardship of God for you. Look, we often talk about our stewardship of financial resources, but here Paul speaks of God's stewardship of his human resources. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I am God's human resource to use as he wills, and I am willing to suffer for your sake so that you might be saved by the power of the gospel, preached and proclaimed and understood in the context of your community. So the question for you and me is, how does God want to steward you? Can I just hit pause for a second? This is a, I was writing the sermon and and I was getting to this place that I normally would just ramp up a call to action. Man, I would a really fiery call to action. And and I just wrote down in my notes that this is a call to action. Uh, <laughs> I know some of you are thinking it. Like I don't I I don't have anything left in my tank right now. Like I I, I don't I want, I want hope, I want peace, you know, I want, I want this, by the way, that's coming in the message, the hope and the peace and security in Christ is coming in the message, uh, but I know a lot of us are like, man, when, when you start talking about living sacrifice and laying my life down and sacrificial love and service, like, my tank is empty, like, I know, I know that, I know that. Uh, I want to encourage you, I, I saw an encouraging, uh, just a, a song this week that a, a music teacher wrote, it was a a song that she wrote for the benefit of her kids, just to encompass um, the moment that we're all in, to help us to sort of, you know, come to terms with the emotions we're all feeling at the current moment. So uh, why don't you check out uh, her video? <laughs> all right, she expresses, right, what we're all thinking. <laughs> I mean, ah, what are, what are we going through? When is it going to be over? <laughs> Look, <laughs> I know you're feeling it. I know you're feeling it. But have you ever thought, have you ever thought of yourself as God's living resource, that maybe even in this crazy time, you know, where, where the intensity of, of emotions are high, where we're drained, you know, just tired and beat down, that God could use you even in that context. You know, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And we've been calling New City during this season to, to be good news for people in the city with their lives, to, to truly say with the Apostle Paul, it's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. Like we want to be the kind of people who, who say uh, with the Apostle Paul that, that we're going to love others the way Christ has loved us. He, he laid down his, his life for us. And, and the church is Christ's body. It's Christ's body and it's his to steward in the world the way he wishes. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul says in, in verse 24 that, uh, that he's suffering for your sake, the sake of the body, that is the church. Earlier in verse 18 of Colossians 1, he said Jesus is the head of the body. Uh, he's the head of the church. He's the one that calls the shots. And so how, how does God want to steward you? How does he want to steward you? How does he want to steward us collectively as a church? Like, that begs the question, like, what are the needs? <laughs> if, I, if, I need, if, I, if I want to know how God wants to steward me, then what are the needs? Like, what are the real needs that are going on in the world? And, uh, some, of my, some of my friends uh, uh, work for an organization called Glue. And earlier this week, I was uh, texting with a friend at Glue, and it was asking for some of the data they've been collecting. Uh, they've collected data from over 20,000 uh, church attenders from all over um, the country asking questions about how they're doing, what they're going through. And what, one survey just surveyed the basic needs of congregants in the church. And as you look at the, the survey, what was shocking to me, uh, two things were shocking to me. One was 72% of people said they didn't have any needs at all. Uh, there, there just wasn't any glaring needs. And the most significant need uh, wasn't a physical need, it was an emotional need. That emotional support was the most significant need expressed in the survey of churchgoers around, around the country. And then when you dig into the data a little bit more, this was really interesting to me. Like I was thinking the data might show that those who need the most emotional support would be those who were, were considered most at risk. Uh, people who were 65 and up might be feeling the most uh, emotional distress. That would be the people who are really in the highest need. Uh, but the data doesn't show that. In fact, the data shows that those who are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s um, are experiencing more emotional distress uh, than every other category. And, and as, as we start to kind of think about it, you go, okay, this kind of, I think this kind of makes sense. Those who are experiencing the, the greatest emotional need are those with young families at home. Uh, I, I, I think this is a way that uh, I was trying to interpret the data. Those who are most in need right now are not our older and more vulnerable population. It's young families trying to figure out how to be the full-time teacher, full-time parent, full-time employee, full-time chef, and housekeeper all at the same time. And there are a whole lot of people are going, amen, right now. Amen. That's hard. It's really hard. And it creates emotional stress. And the emotional strain you are going through right now is hard. But listen, it's hard, but it's not impossible with God's strength. What you're going through right now is hard. It is your ministry right now. It's your ministry to your family, your ministry to your neighborhood, your ministry to your community. It's your ministry right now. It is hard, but it's not impossible. And the three things I wanted to affirm to you today were this. This is hard. You have a, a mysterious power, though. It's at work within you to do hard things. Listen to Colossians 1.26. The mystery, here's the mysterious power, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Okay, there's a mystery that 
In the Old Testament, before Christ appeared, people were looking forward and going, how is God going to do it? How is he going to restore all things? How is he going to renew all things? How is he going to fix this broken world? To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Okay, what's the mystery, Paul? I want to know the mystery. Here's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want you to hear that. God has put Christ in us. Christ is inside of us. Jesus talked about it in John 14. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus is in us. That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen. Or do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. The Holy Spirit is in you. If you're a Christian today, you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Savior, you have a mysterious power at work within you. You have Christ in you. The Spirit is in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have a, the power of the resurrection living inside of you. Listen to Romans 8, 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you hear that? The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. I'm going to come back to this, but I, I just want you to recognize here for, for a second. A key issue that Paul is addressing in Colossians is the questioning of the sufficiency of the gospel. There, there seems to be some who have come into the community and said, what God has given you in the gospel is not enough. You, you can see evidence of this in verse 4 of chapter 2. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments that oppose the gospel, is his point. Paul wants us to have assurance in the sufficiency of Jesus for every circumstance, including the one we're in right now. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, says Paul. And for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be, here it is, encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. I want you to be encouraged, knit together, bound in love, being assured that the gospel you have is complete. See, Paul wants us to grow into mature followers of Jesus, holding on to the mystery of the gospel. Look at Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's his aim. Your maturity, you would grow in Christ. You grow in your dependency upon him. You grow in your dependency upon the Holy Spirit, that you have an ear attuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that you'd be walking in step with the Spirit, living out the gospel in your everyday life. I don't want... <laughs> I was going to say, I don't want to sting you here, but I kind of do a little bit. You see, you are not living 
Listen, you are not living in full assurance as a mature Christian if you are completely self-dependent when you're, when you're doing hard things. If you need a rebuke here of being self-reliant, receive it as God's grace for you. You are not, you are not living in full assurance, the full assurance that Paul wants us to live in in light of this verse, as mature Christians, he's aiming at our maturity here, if, now, you are not living in full assurance as a mature Christian if you are completely self-dependent when you are doing hard things. Paul, I've been arguing, has done hard things. Laid his life down, sacrificed his body for the sake of the gospel. Well, how did he do it? Verse 29. For this I toil. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul is giving us a warning. A warning. Listen to verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone. What's the warning? Do not live as if your willpower was the only power inside of you. Do, do, do not live as if the only power inside of you was your willpower. You have the power of the living God inside of you. For this I toil, struggling with his energy that he powerfully works within me. The things I want to affirm to you is that there, <laughs> this is hard. You have a mysterious power, though. A, myster a mysterious power at work within you to do hard things. And you can do hard things with thanksgiving and joy. The Apostle Paul, in verse 7 Encourages us to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. In other words, you know, living out your full assurance, growing in maturity. Then he says, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. He begins the section that we're studying today in verse 24 is saying, I'm rejoicing in my suffering. And so here the Apostle Paul is going, when you're going through hard things, you can find reason to rejoice, and reason to give thanksgiving. We can be joyful and thankful for the full assurance we have in Jesus. Now, I want you to meditate on the full assurance you have in Jesus right now. If you're a Christian, you have full assurance in Jesus. And I want you to see the portrait uh, of you that Paul is painting. You'll see on the screen just a, a little icon. That's you, okay? That icon is you. Now, I want you to imagine you. Before Christ came into your life, you were a sinner separated from God. Before Christ came into your life, you were vulnerable. Why? Because the curse of sin is death, and death was what you had to look forward to. You were vulnerable. But if you're a Christian and Christ came into your life, he rescued you from sin, and he rescued you from death. 
but he did more than just rescue you. <laughs> he, he, he did more than rescue you from sin of death. He, he rescued you for a relationship with him. By the way, if you're not a Christian today and you're feeling the vulnerability and you're going, I, I need some of that power you're talking about, like I'm beat down and worn out, like let us know. We'd love to help you to accept Jesus, your Lord and Savior. It's not complicated. All you got to do is say, Jesus, I need you. And he shows up. Look at Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, here's the mystery, Christ in you. I want you to imagine you now rescued and saved by Jesus. And what you look like is, you look like someone that has Christ in them. Like you have Christ in you. Jesus is in you. It's mysterious to me how this is true, but it's true. He's in you. But the Bible speaks to to. <laughs> Not only Christ being in you, but the Bible speaks to you being in Christ. Like listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And so the Bible speaks not only of Christ in you, but speaks of you in Christ. Now I want you to think about your assurance, like you're a, the assurance of your salvation right now. Think about this. That God has put himself in you, and then he put you inside himself. So I, I just put a little bubble around you. There's like this little bubble around you that's protecting you. It's keeping you safe. It's, it's driving out all the accusations and driving out all the fear, driving out all the worry. It's a protection because Christ is in you and you are in Christ. But listen to what Colossians 3.3 says. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So just imagine yourself here again. Here, here you are. Not, I mean, you're not alone. You're not vulnerable. Uh, <laughs> you, have, you have intimate access to God because he's in you. Christ is in you. Not only is Christ in you, you are in Christ. Not only are you in Christ, but you are hidden with Christ and God. And like there's, there's these, these levels of security around you. You are so safe and secure in Him. There is no power in the world that has the power to take away your security in Christ. You're safe in Him. So re receive, receive Him. The three things I wanted to affirm to you today was this is hard. I know it's hard. Okay, I know it's hard. You have a mysterious power to do hard things. I believe the Holy Spirit will affirm it to you. If you're a Christian, Jesus is in you. You are in Jesus, and you are hidden with Jesus in God, and no one can take you from that safety and security in Him. You can do hard things with thanksgiving and joy because you know that's true. <laughs> you know it's true. I mean, what's ultimately going to happen? Every tear will be wiped away. Death will be no more. There'll be no more darkness, just the light of the Lamb, our Savior, <laughs> Jesus. I mean, it's, it's going to be awesome what He's going to do for us. 
But in the meantime, he's still doing it. Like he's working. Like he's not left you as orphans. Like he's, he's here. He's present right now in your living room, your back patio, up to the bedroom, at the dining room table, wherever you're sitting right now. He's here with you, present. And you can hold on because he's holding on to you. So if you, if you, if you lack the presence, the, the, the sort of the, the, the if you like the, if you like the courage, I just want to give you the courage. This is what I want to say. If you lack the courage, I just want to give you the courage. Invite Jesus to be the center right now. Of everything going on, just say, you know what? My worry, my stress, my anxiety, my loneliness, it's not the center. Jesus is the center. And just see what happens. <laughs> Look, you can hold on because I know what you'll discover is that he's holding on to you. We usually end our talks with a time of generosity, communion, and prayer. And I'm going to spend a second just talking about generosity. Uh, knowing full and well that this is a, an awkward conversation to have during the middle of a pandemic when a lot of people have lost their jobs. I, I, I recognize that's true. Also looking at the data and ex- examining kind of where we are as a, as a church, that God has called us to a dangerous mission. And there are those of us who, who can continue uh, to do things financially, even if um, you know, even if things are are sort of going badly for the economy, uh, and so we we wanted to give you an opportunity to respond because we spent a lot of our year talking about be good news, and if you don't know what be good news is, I want to encourage you to go to begoodnews.church, go to the website, watch the vision video, look at the information that's there, uh, you'll learn a lot. Over the previous months, we had a lot of people ask, like, we want to make our commitment. We, even though we're in the pandemic, we want to make our commitment. And so people did, and they updated their commitments. So right now, we are tracking at 71% regular growth in giving. Like, that's uh, 71% increase in regular giving from those who have made commitments. Um, another interesting sort of fact, though, is that we are, are currently sitting at 67% of our goal. Now, that that number calculates our commitments of expanded giving, but also our anticipated regular giving. When you put those things together, we're at 60% of our, of our goal. And so, you know, even during a pandemic, we're, we're kind of coming close on it. And so I want to encourage you, if you go to BeGoodNews.Church, you'll see the website. You'll see a video of me there on the website. And as you scroll down the website, you'll see that this is Be Good News is a two-year ministry goal, ministry budget for two years. Um, hopefully this pandemic will not last that entire time. I don't think it will. And so even if you're not able to, to contribute in ways that you wish you could now, maybe you will be able later. We will continue the Be Good News initiative uh, uh, unfolding over the next, you know, over the next couple of years. We'll, we'll have this conversation uh, uh, a couple of other times. You'll see the budget there uh, for Be Good News. And if you scroll down a little bit further, what you'll see is three tabs. The far right tab just says My Commitment. And if you click on that My Commitment tab, it'll take you to the commitment card. And there's a digital card there for you to fill out. And the, 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 basically the card is this. It's saying, I anticipated giving this amount over the next two years in light of the vision uh, of New City, expanded staff uh, for focusing on children, uh, expanded uh, space by buying the space that North Church currently meets in, expanding our missional influence in the city through our um, uh, you know, uh, being good news in the city with our lives. And so uh, all those different pieces of the budget, uh, if, if you buy into that vision, you want to be a part of what God's doing at New City, I hope you do, uh, you can write in an expanded giving amount there. 
You can total that up and submit that. There's a digital version of it there. You can also go to uh, your phone and you can just text BGN uh, to the number on the screen. That number, if you just type in BGN for Be Good News, uh, type those three letters in. That'll take you also to a response card that you can fill out digitally. Uh, again, I just want to say it again. I mean, I know we're in a pandemic. I know everybody's in a different you know, financial s- situation. Um, we, we've only ever asked to do what God has asked you to do. And so, you know, whatever Jesus is comfortable with, with you doing, I'm comfortable with you doing, okay? But I also want you to know that people have already started giving to be good news, and we've already had some expanded giving come in, and we wanted to lead with generosity. I mentioned last week that we've been praying about how we can have the greatest impact. We looked at lots of different opportunities to have impact, and the first place that we would look, uh, it, which would be natural, is our current partners. And so we started calling some of our partners. I called uh, Cita de Gracia, called Abiel, and said, hey, how are you doing? How's this working for your church? It's a Spanish-speaking church that we planted uh, near the International District. And Abiel said, well, I've been, you know, it's been going okay. I've been editing our videos on my iPad for our services. And, uh, you know, uh, the gospel is something I believe in. I love it when it's preached, and I want it to be preached well. And Abiel's spending an enormous amount, <laughs> enormous amount of time uh, trying to um, trying to produce their services with substandard equipment. And so as a church, we committed $2,500 to buy them new equipment. Uh, overall, we committed $10,000 in generosity. Uh, and so, so $2,500 went to them to buy computers and video cameras and things they need uh, to produce services. Uh, also, as we were you know, just sort of asking the question, how can we best serve the Navajo Nation? Uh, food distribution didn't seem to be a big need. The, our governor sent $500,000 uh, worth of resources for food uh, over to Navajo Nation. Uh, many other churches and organizations responded. And what we kept hearing back was, we have enough food. Uh, and so we, we, we spoke to, uh, uh, to, to Chuck and Cindy Harper at Cross Nations. And Chuck and Cindy Harper run a ministry there that we've partnered with over the years. And I know Chuck really well. In fact, we spent a lot of time together uh, on the rest, serving and caring uh, for Native people. And their uh, their radio station was broken into. And their radio station is used for uh, both communicating um, in a broadcast format, uh, where, where you can find food distribution and other you know things that are needed during this time. But they also use the radio station to broadcast the gospel and sermons and worship music and uh, they, they, when the radio station was broken into, their computers were stolen. And so uh, we felt like we could make the biggest impact for our Native brothers and sisters by giving $2,500 to Across Nations to replace their, uh, their equipment so they can have a fully functioning uh, radio uh, station again. Uh, we recognize that Shine School Partnership is uh, doing powerful things in our city. Well, we've been doing powerful things in our city through Shine. And, uh, and we wanted to make sure that we could continue to, exp- to, to, to meet the expanded need of food uh, through Mission Ave Elementary School. There, uh, there has been a, a steady stream of, of families from all over our community being served by our distribution site at Mission Avenue Elementary School. So we dedicated $2,500 to make sure that there was never uh, going to be a moment in the future where we run out of food uh, for those who are in need of food. And so uh, I want you to know that we, we've continued to care for that partnership. And I appreciated so much last week the principal of Mission Ave saying thank you to our church. 
uh, for the work that we're doing to, to care for not only her students, but students across the area. Lastly, we gave uh, to New Mexico Dream Center uh, $2,500 uh, for a benevolence fund that Shelley's running. And so she's caring for people who are having difficulties reading. Uh, 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 you know, this, this is like a frontline ministry here. Uh, we want we, we, we want to fight homelessness in our city, and we want to help people who are struggling. And one of the ways we can do that is helping the to to provide some rent relief and some relief with utility bills as needed. And so we funded her fund to be able to be good news uh, through the work that Shelley's doing through New Mexico Dream Center, the Harbor, and all the other ministries that she's a part of. So that's generosity. <laughs> so uh, we'd love for you to participate in generosity, and I'm proud of you, church, for. Uh, for being a part of our big give this week. Communion and prayer, uh, as always, I encourage you to take communion at home, break the bread, remember the body of Christ broken for you, take the cup, remember the blood of Christ shed for you. And uh, we've been ending uh, in our, our times in prayer together, and I've enjoyed these times. I've enjoyed praying aloud with my family, and I just want to encourage you to pray aloud uh, with me. This will be an opportunity for all of us, no matter where, when we're watching this or where we're watching us, to, to say the same prayer, to hold on to the same value at the same moment. And so I'd love for you to, to pray with me as we close our service. Grant us patience, O Lord, to follow the road you have taken. Let our confidence not rest in our own understanding, but in your guiding hand. Let our desire not be for our own comfort, but for the joy of your kingdom. For your cross is our hope and our joy now unto the day of eternity. Amen. God bless, church.